Welcome to About the Winelands. In this show, we'll be chatting to leaders, influencers, wine producers, restaurants, winelands businesses, and other role players. Tune in every Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday for our latest episodes. You will find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram TV, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and Spotify. Good day, everybody, and welcome back to About the Winelands. Today, I'm talking to Arco Larman from Larman Wines. Uh, welcome to About the Winelands, Arco. Hi, hi. Well, thanks, thanks for having me on your, on your talk. No, thank you for taking the time. I know you're busy. I'd really love to know, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and um, how you got involved in um, winemaking and in the wine industry? Uh, yeah, look, um, funny enough, I'm, I'm not actually, I'm not, not from the Cape. There are a couple other winemakers that, that, that are not, not Capies, but I was born up in Joburg, um, in Rudaput, uh, and my brother was a Navy, di Navy diver. We used to come on holiday a lot down to the Cape uh, as a family um, when we used this flat. And uh, towards the end of our school holidays, obviously, it's uh, family outings, we followed the parents around and we ended up going to uh, the Winelands for a day and we, I was at that time probably like eight or nine, um, walked into a cellar and it was, must have been just before after harvest, um, a, you can get a typical cellar smell, I'll, I'll never forget that and uh, I looked at this and I never knew, it, knew of it as a, as a career choice, uh, even more so when I went back to school up in Joburg and they didn't even know what it was. They thought winemakers were just like mechanics that work in the background. And um, yeah, I started in high school and was already reading the wine magazine. I remember the first one that came out was Peter Ferreira on the front cover. And yeah, my mom has always been very free to let us um, follow our own paths. And what happened is the plateau was still very thin in 95 and there wasn't emails yet. So we set up a letter and sent out faxes to potential farms that I just sort of earmarked in, in the plateau and came up to Karpzicht, uh, the Stateler family. And the uh, I was uh, obviously just out of matric, uh, 19 and they, took me on um, more, it was actually Ingvald, Donnie's wife, that sort of pushed me more as uh, help for Donnie. Donnie Sr. had never had anyone before, and I then took uh, a job there more as eyes for people stealing wine out the cellar. But um, it was, uh, then I actually ended up staying three years with them and was became part of the family and really, I'm very close to Donnie Jr. We're, uh, we sort of the brothers from another mother type thing because he was in standard seven or eight when I met him. And when he realized that as a winemaking family, he took it for granted almost that you, you, you're born in this industry, but then he saw the passion that I had for not having that call it generational right to take over a farm. And it really drove to him that he understood that he had a great opportunity within his family to start and that's uh, where he is, and he's, he's doing a great job running running the family business there now. Um, spent three years with them, and then um, worked for Mobile Bottling Company. was very interesting. Uh, got to meet a lot of different farms that you would not have necessarily have known from. 
they hired met David from uh, Glencola. They didn't have a bottling line at that time, and uh, he sort of offered me a job after seeing how I worked on the line and that. And I was a little weary. I said no the first time, and then did a bottling again with him, and he sort of pressed again, and it's like, well, uh, and then I said, okay, well, let's let's go for it. So then I actually before starting at Glencola, uh, which was middle of '99, I then went to. to America to Hess Collection, which, which was part of the Glen Carter group in those early years, and did a harvest there. And it started at Glen Carter in 2000, and then uh, did vintages in Australia, um, France, uh, Germany, and Austria over the couple of years. And then Glen Carter started getting quite large, and uh, David Finnis and the whole farm was sold in the early two. The late, uh, the mid 2000s, and then David left in 2009, and I took over as head winemaker and um, continued there until 2016. Um, the reason I left uh, Glen Carla was I'd been there 17 years; it was like almost part of the furniture, and I decided if I don't do it now, I'll regret it. So I decided to start my own company, which was when I started. Uh, Larman Wines uh, first vintage was uh, 2017. Um, so I finished at Glen Carla end of 2016 and Larman Wines is still, it's only year three now. But that's, that's where I am. So uh, I buy wines from different regions. I'd only worked with Paul Grapes for so many years that it was not time to say, well, let's try and do Chardonnay from a cooler climate. There's a couple of independent that are multi-regional, which is also interesting, and it it's gives you a bit of um, diversification of working with a specific variety in a different area. Wow, this is interesting. So I just want to know, um, Arco, if you, I mean, you, you knew from a young age that, you, then that you're going to be in the wine industry. At what age did you start drinking wine? <laughs> it's funny. I, my, my my parents my parents are not big wine drinkers. My dad, uh, my heritage is Dutch. Arco um, is obviously an unusual name. It's sort of a, a mix from Anko and Arno. Um, and then Laman, there's not many Lamans in the, in the in the country. But the interest I had actually sort of made interest in my parents. So that they live up, they moved to Cosmos and Ardebeesford Dam. They've got a beautiful guest house there. They actually literally put a cellar into the mountain uh, for the guests but for myself to play a bit and yeah I, I didn't actually drink a lot of wines until I started at, at Carbsoft I would more manage this sort of cellar so I would see certain wines ahead and then let's keep that and let's see if that's going to stay and my dad also I entered a Chateau Libertas box competition not box I mean like a wooden box not bag in the box but um, mm -hmm. uh, it was a wine magazine competition I had to use my dad's details because it was still underage and then he got this letter that we were one of the 50 guys to win this box and it's actually a beautiful uh, Chateau Libertas vintage um, when it's still had those gold superior stickers from 1982 three, four, five, six vintages of six bottles my dad almost threw it away because he thought it was like a Thought it was a promotion, but then he actually saw that we won this thing, and it was <laughs> it was me as an, an, a minor that's now trying to uh, win uh, competitions out of the wine magazine. Well, that's fantastic. So tell us a bit. Um, you know, yeah, you started Lamen Wines, the wines you are making, and also 
I mean, your winemaking philosophy? Um, look, it, a lot of it comes from uh, my uh, philosophy in wine is also more driven towards the varieties that I work with. Um, uh, to be fair, my company is only three years old now. There are certain wines and projects still up and coming, but obviously having spent 17 years at Glen Carlew, Chardonnay became part of my blood. It was, uh, it's obviously uh, one of the strongest um, products for Glen Carlew. And um, so Chardonnay is for me very important in my business. Uh, and I started, like I said, in, in the beginning of 2017. I had my sort of entry level, I've got two ranges. So I've got my entry level or mid range called Cluster Series which was a Chardonnay from Pekingese Kloof. Uh, well, the first year was actually from Elgin, and then the 17 is from Pekingese Kloof. And a cab, which the initial vintage was uh, Paul, and now it's Stellenbosch. Um, and then my second vintage, uh, second range is uh, the Focal Point wines. And those are, are very more site-specific as well with the a Chardonnay from a region called Fumarclicate. I'm sure you've heard of it there near Riversdale on the Davenooks River. Mm-hmm. And then Asinso, uh, which I did in 2017, which was Stellenbosch, and 2018 uh, is Achterperl, beautiful bush fine stuff. And then an old wine, Shannon, from a, a block in Paul, um, as old as me. I was born in 1977, so it's a 43-old vineyard. And... Um, my philosophy is look keep things simple. It's uh, it's interesting. I always dealt with uh, you get all the smoker coming to sell you um, additives uh, and uh, barrels and staves and this, this and that. And I believe that wine is a natural product. Um, if you have good grapes, you can bring all the flavors you need direct from the vineyard by not having to add anything that you would maybe see in a cooperative situation. Uh, I do use um, cultivated yeasts with my Chardonnay because Chardonnay is a neutral variety. So I do experiment with different uh, um, yeast strains. Um, but otherwise, a lot of my stuff is also natural fermentation. But people must forget, um, if you, people talk about natural wines, um, yeast is natural. So whether yeah. it's cultivated by Anchor, as long as it's not a GMO, it is the same thing as a, as a natural yeast but it's just um been gone through a process where it is more um active than than natural ones but there's definitely differences in in that and i'd like to get diversity in my chardonnay to get different flavor components out of it from the yeast and from from the barrels very interesting you mentioned that you you're looking at um, wines from different areas and um, specifically wines that are uh, you know grapes that come from a specific place um, can you explain yeah. to us what what Cape Sites is and how that works? Uh, yeah, it's 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 called Cape Site Specific. It's a group that we started, um, me and probably about eight eight producers at the time. Uh, it was more about sharing a standard Cape wine, um, but we, as we know, wine uh, wine is sold by stories and philosophies and that. And uh, what we put together is a group that believe in wines with a sense of place so to be part of this group your wines have to qualify um for their origins so you can't have wines from western cape or blended between Paul and stellenbosch um 
the, the minimum criteria is that it must be at least wine of origin Stellenbosch, but the, the best thing is to go from there to ward to as close as you can to single vineyard. So I, I, I have a wine that comes from a single vineyard, not, um, it's not been, um, what do you call it, uh, certified yet at, at, for the 2019, the 2020 vintage. It's a single vineyard, which is that old vine Shen and I was talking about. So the more specific you get and the more driven to the site is the story. So we're, we're now on our fourth year together, um, very different under the circumstances with COVID. We're, we're all working from home and talking to each other. It's funny, the winemakers are always very social people. And I actually went out yesterday to, to go and do something, but we don't see each other as much as we do in, did in the, in the past. Um, but yeah, we're, we're all like-minded and, and like to have wines with a sense of place. That, that's the most, most important message that, that we're trying to push through into the market. So um, Cape Sites, is that uh, uh, official? Is that, a, is that an organization um, um, with a brand, you know, is it branded, branded, certified? Is it a non-profit? How does it work? It's, a, it's called Cape Sites Specific and it, it is it's set up as a company, as an organization, and we pay, a, all of us pay a, a fee to be part of it. And if they are, if we want to, if we want to do an event, then it's like pay, pay as you go in whether you want to do it or not. Um, and look, the, the idea for us is actually sort of to have a, a good pool of money from all of us together and then to invite people from overseas mm -hmm. and sort of work together with Warsa to create content um, like the Swatland has done really, really well. Like you need to create content in the industry to be able to um, tell your stories and that. So um, that's, that's how, how, it's, how it's been driven. It's, it's not about making money. It's just about making it operate um under our uh, membership fees and what we're willing to take part in as, as a member so um are the wines labeled um in some way so that you can see it how does the consumer know this comes or is it is it how does that work at the moment we haven't gotten to that stage yet where we have a seal or, or, or something it's not like the old vines group yet um but uh you bring up a good point we haven't actually we don't have anything specifically on our labels yet um that uh that mention that it's more but more about the the events that we do together but um yeah that is something we should look at maybe is, is to add something onto the bottle that can at least bring you to the website to understand our philosophies and that's similar to the wine seal um the certification seal not not everybody we we in the industry know what it stands for but even the the well-known uh, the a wine drinker with knowledge doesn't fully understand what even the seals that we have on the labels actually represent. But uh, that's all about getting the message out there. And that's so, uh, yeah. It's like you say, it's creating content and raising awareness. It's like anything, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So, okay, your wines, um, where are you selling? Are you um, selling in the local market only? Are you exporting? How, how, you, how do you work? Um. I look, uh, I think we all know that the Saffron market is pretty flooded. I think if you think now, I think the late, latest number here is what 6,000 different wines available um, under different brands and that type of thing. So my focus was really to drive the international market side. Um, so my wines are local and international, but 
I'm really pushing on the export side. Um, I export to Belgium, Mauritius, uh, UK, um, trying to get into Holland, uh, America, I'm still working on. Um, but yeah, export is important, um, but then local as well. But obviously being a, a small independent producer, I'm not going to be selling at the macros and doing pellet deals and that type of thing. So it's more your independent. So the well-known guys like Wine Menu uh, up in Joburg, um, all the wine concept stores down here, one or two uh, liquor cities, the well-known one in Claremont, liquor city, he's got best range of wines, mm -hmm. the largest range of wines and gins and all sorts of things. So he's he's always keen to take on new wines. Um, and then obviously direct consumers where we, and any, any winery makes, makes the best margins is with, you have a cellar door or, a, or do events that you drive your direct sales, um, which is something I'm very much focusing on, which I think we all are now in this COVID thing is that online wine sales have increased dramatically and online wine shops, um, just trying to push those sales that you're not getting in the restaurants anymore or the, the reduction of um, availability in the, the liquor stores and only having a five day, um, no, four days, you can only buy alcohol four days of the week. So yeah, it's, I don't know, for the bigger guys to work out budgets and that this year, it's, I'm glad I know I've got only a certain amount of wine to sell, but for the big boys, it's a bit scary. Yeah, then you don't want to sit with a cellar full of wine when you get your next harvest in, right? No, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I think uh, what's interesting to me is that you mentioned direct-to-consumer, which you're right. It's, I mean, it's growing a lot, but um, also um, you said events. So do you do pop-up tastings? Yeah, I actually had just started that just before the lockdown. I did my first one at the winery where I buy the, the Shannon from. Then my idea was to do it at certain either to use a restaurant or um, certain of the guys like the Sommelier Association in Stellenbosch or a wine bar somewhere that uses my wines and that. So that was the idea is once a month to do like a pop-up uh, tasting, um, but that's all gone at the moment. So we don't know when we can all have a glass of wine together with a meal or get together to do a tasting. Um, so yeah, the, that is the way. Um, I haven't been doing a lot of online Zoom meeting tastings, that type of thing. It's very difficult to do that as well. You can't drop everybody a bottle of wine. We're, as Cape are specifically trying to figure out, well, let's take a 750 ml bottle and put, put it into 50 ml little bottles and send it out and do, do a group tasting with someone. But it's logistics and timings and all of that. And to be fair, I think people, there's people being a bit overrun with, um, some of these things maybe so uh, but yeah it's it's important to get to the direct consumer so besides that um i see on your website you also offer wine making consultancy service i was wondering about that and also um you know what other services do you offer yeah there's uh look because because i work for myself mm -hmm. um there's i'm not as hectic as when i was working at lincoln i did when I left there, I think we were bottling 650,000 bottles, um, which keeps one very, very busy. Um, with myself, I utilize cellar space um, near me, uh, Yaren Paul. So that keeps me busy maybe two, three days of the week. Um, obviously, wintertime is more quiet time for winemakers. You've got everything to barrel and everything self it up and everything safe. So I offer 
um, yeah, any consultancy for small guys that don't have uh, the budget for say, only producing five or ten tons for a small guest house winery or whatever. So I'll make I can do little parcels for them uh, if they have their own vineyards, um, and then obviously anything from packaging for other people um, that are looking for a winemaker that can do everything from finding bulk wines, doing doing bottling for them and so on. It hasn't been such an active part of my business, but there's sort of two, three people that I have as a concern that that I do this for now, which is which is great. It sort of just puts a little bit more into the bank account um, without having to sell wine. Interesting. So you've mentioned the coronavirus and the lockdown a bit, and um, I mean, it's forced all of us to actually rethink our business models. So uh, do you have yeah. any changes or new ideas that came to mind while you were sitting there in lockdown? Um, yeah, look, it's this, uh, um, again, I'm, I'm really pushing on the, on, on the export side. Um, there's one or two new opportunities um, coming my way, which will really, really help. Um, because uh, obviously we, for two months, couldn't sell anything here locally, but like in the UK, there's um, online companies that have been selling throughout the lockdown and it's been like Christmas for them for the last last uh, three, four months. Um, so people are not going out, but people are ordering wine and we weren't able to do that. So uh, there is definitely a, a demand um, and a bit of a gap. Unfortunately, some people did lose the business due to the those two months where they were, had potential listings with some of the larger system belonging in Sweden and whatever. But uh, um, yeah, just really looking at the, again, like I said earlier, that is my model is exporting um, and just making that grow strength from strength in, in this environment at the moment. So interesting to me is, um, you know, it's European summer now, well, the whole Northern Hemisphere. And um, this is yeah. obviously a high cons consumption time. So um, mm. what about logistics? If, if you get orders now, are you managing to get them out? Uh, yeah, the, the place in general, the, I've, there is a bit of a, um, uh, a bottleneck at, at the harbour. Um, but since the export um, allowance was lifted that we can export again, um, I actually uh, had it, yeah, I sent some wine to Belgium and yeah, it took the usual three week turnaround. It wasn't too bad. Obviously, if you want to still get into that rosé season for uh, the UK, you want the stuff on the water now before before mm. the season stops. So I don't know. Uh, I don't do rosé yet. I'm looking at doing it possibly next year. Um, but yeah, our timings have been out because those specific, specifically those two months where we where we were not allowed to export, um, definitely certain products, um, not not only wine, but if you think of uh, some of the uh, uh, beers and uh, sort of ciders and things like that, they've lost a huge chunk of business because you've now something that should have been there two months ago um, mm. is two months behind. So that's, that's not, it's not easy. Yeah. But the time it gets there, it's winter. winter yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that is an issue. So okay, yeah. I mean, you've had an interesting journey in, 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 in the wine um, industry. 
Um, what is the most important thing that you've learned so far from your wine journey? Look, like I said, the thing is, there's a lot of competition. That's, uh, I, I did know that before I started my own business. Um, uh, it's, uh, anyone, uh, winemakers can make wine, and we all can make wine, and all estates can make wine, but it's another thing to sell it. It's um, a big part of our industry is marketing and being out there. Um, so that's really been it's, it's not a i'd say life lesson in the wine industry it's, it's definitely i've known it as a learning curve that you're going to be marketing all the time um but i won't regret having gotten into the industry over um over 20 when is it early on um, <laughs> uh, my first vintage of it was in 96 so yeah it's a, it's a long time and i've been in par for 20 years um and my me and my wife have now actually decided to, to uh move to a cooler area and i think it's also more maybe part of my chardonnay <laughs> campus going on we're going to be moving to onrus and i'll look at some area there to higher space and really look at cooler climate uh chardonnay from elgin or the cape south coast uh getting a bit closer to for mark locate so i don't have to drive as far to get the grapes um and yeah we'll hire over there for you and see if it see if it works uh our daughter is not old enough to get into school actually she, i mean she's still young enough before she starts uh anything and uh yeah i've got good friends there hannah storm uh obviously the finnesons from creation i know well um so if they can do it i'm sure sure it's possible so that's the next hopefully the next 20 years in my wine journey well, like this at, uh, at that I just wanted to ask you that because I mean you're still young and your business is even younger. So what is your long-term vision? Where are you going to take Larman wines? What is your plan? Uh, yeah, uh, obviously to make it uh, as profitable as possible. Um, what I've actually done with my my packaging is, uh, if you look at the labels, um, it's very much driven on the names. So you got focal point uh, Chardonnay, and the story is specific variety from a specific region and and then the cluster series which means cluster obviously means a bunch of grapes so uh i need one berry can be perfect but you need a whole cluster to fill a glass of wine and even more so to, to fill a bottle um so i use my name to endorse my wines but i think what my plan is in the next 20 years is that if i can push these wines um get the brands strong enough out there that they can actually be freestanding brands on their own that I, I don't sell my my name but I can sell those brands to someone who's interested in, in increasing the size of it or um, I'd have to see if my daughter wants to get into wine but she's only three so I'm not going to push her on, on, on whether she's in going to be in my footsteps but um, it sounds like in your family uh, I have to start drinking at seven right to be a winemaker <laughs> to be a winemaker at uh, 16. No, no, no. So we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll we'll see. But but I, I, hopefully, yeah. Obviously, we all want to uh, put food on our plates and 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 have a comfortable life. Uh, and uh, the wine industry can do that if you just keep your nose to the grindstone, create quality wines that people enjoy, and um, look at old vines as becoming quite a quite a strong marketing part of South Africa. Um, and maybe get more involved in, in that, looking at 
different regions. If you look at Chris Arlite, he lives in in that area that I'm talking about, Onrus, but he's buying grapes from all the way up in Pekingese Kloof and uh, all over. So he's also a bit more multi-regional. So that's, that's the different side of being sort of the old um, 1980s uh, Landgut or estate wines. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens in 20 years. We can, we can have this conversation in five or 10 years from now again. It doesn't have to be that long. But uh, hopefully I'm staying on a stronger foot than we all are. Yes, I, I really hope so. Um, can you give us your very own wine quote? Um, yeah, your favorite I was, one? I was, I was struggling a little bit, bit with that. My wife, I do tend to have a good sense of humor sometimes when I get put in the spots. But uh, obviously Chardonnay is a very big part of, part of me and uh, there was a time when, when I was traveling in the U.S. or well, actually, it's the U.S. is part of the problem is that they were making these heavy, heavy Chardonnays, um, over-wooded, over, -wooded, over um, uh, mal uh, full malolactic fermentation, too much botanage. They made these wines that were so planky and dry that you need like three glasses of water with a glass of wine. And... Uh, there was a stage that I'm sure you know of called ABC, anything but Chardonnay. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I'm trying to see, with, which I did in the years of Glen Carl, is reduce the wood. Um, it needs to be part of it, but create um, wines with a bit more finesse, even more so now working with this Vermarklicate stuff where it's on strong limestone soils, five, ten, uh, eight kilometers as a crow flies to the sea. Um, making Chardonnays with finesse and changing the ABC anything but Chardonnay to always buy Chardonnay. There we go. I like that. So that that's what I'm going for. That's your quote. Always yeah. buy Chardonnay. <laughs> I <Yeah>. love it. <laughs> so, um, thank you very much for spending the time here. Our listeners are sitting here and they want to get hold of you, want to order your wines. How do they do that? There's there's a couple of options now. Uh, obviously, directly uh, from me, it's uh, www.larmanwines.com is the website. And uh, then all the outlets I mentioned earlier. And then also recently just started with Shopstar. That's uh, also the online way to, to get it. And I do tend to do my own delivery still at the moment. So if you do buy, you might actually still get to meet the winemaker dropping the wine off themselves. So... Uh, but yeah, maybe direct is probably best. So, so look at larmanwines.com uh, and uh, click on to the order sheet and me or my wife will email within a, within, within a day usually and then get the wines out. Depending on this lockdown, because um, you're not allowed to move it around after Thursday, but usually if one orders on a Monday, Tuesday, you'll still get it before before you can't have it on Thursday after evening at five o'clock or whatever. I think what you're talking about now is obviously within striking distance of Paul. What happens if people order from um, the outskirts of the country or even in Gauteng? How do you manage that? Uh, well, look, um, Gauteng is, 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 is courier service and that is, that's, I would say, with the lockdown rules, maybe a week. Um, otherwise, uh, recommend them going to the likes of Wine Menu and um, one one or two guys are there. But the, 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 
the best is is a dry dock liquors as well. They will save my wines. Um, you can still do a week's turnaround. Um, once you start moving out the country, maybe more like two weeks and that type of thing. Okay, awesome. Um, Arco, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. We'll put all the links down um, in the description. And um, yes, I'm sure people will find this interesting. Um, good luck with everything you're doing. And uh, with, your move, with your move to Onris. And um, thanks for chatting to us. And we'll probably, we'll definitely chat again in future. Perfect. No, no, thanks for your time as well. And uh, hopefully, uh, I was seeing some of my wine friends yesterday. Uh, we're saying we're only going get, to get together at a restaurant when they allow us to have a glass of wine again. I don't know who's going to go out to us a steakhouse or something and sit and drink a Diet Coke or something. You need that lit glass of wine or a, or a beer, that thing. So I'm hoping for the restaurant side that this rule will be lifted quite soon as well. Um, well, well, even worse, yeah, who, go, who goes to a wine wine estate and don't drink wine if you go out for lunch? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, shame. I did. That's the thing is, even if, if I, I was at Glen Carlo two weeks ago, um, yeah, they're also saying that they probably won't open the restaurant until they have got full full option for people to be able to uh, drink wines on, 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 the, on the premises. Marcus, thank you very much. Thanks, eh? Thank you for supporting our show. If you would like to get more exposure for your business, please have a look at our sponsorship options. Thanks again for supporting About the Winelands. Please follow us on YouTube and on our social media channels. All details and links are in the description. Thank you.